Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 59. Today, Brian and I are continuing our series on the book of Ephesians. Last week, we looked at the concepts of election and predestination in chapter one. This week, we are looking at the phrase, in Christ. Paul uses it several times throughout chapter one, so we take a look at its uses to see what Paul was saying to the church in Ephesus. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro. You can watch us on YouTube as well at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you are watching us there, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We've also set up a Patreon account, so if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support our continued work, you can do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to the website, thebiblebistro.com, and clicking on the link at the top. If you can't financially support us, you could also support the Bistro by simply sharing the podcast with others or leaving us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps as well. All right, let's jump right into our conversation discussing the phrase in Christ in Ephesians chapter one. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, Ryan, how's it going, man? It's going all right. It's going all right. It's hot here in Indianapolis. Oh, it's hot here too. You know, it was crazy because it was it was cold and rainy like all through the weekend, and then all of a sudden it's 110 degrees. No, it's not. It's 90 here, but it's 90. But that humidity, humidity. Mm. Yeah, Mm, I love it. I love it. Like I'm just standing there in the sweat. Who needs a sauna, right? You can just step outside. (laughs) Just step outside. But I've heard this weekend we are supposed to get more. What's the the word? uh, You know. Temperate, yeah, temperate, Temp- it's temper- gonna, it's, temperate. Temperate. I was looking for what is it when when it's the temperature supposed to be for the time of year? <laughs> What's that word? <laughs> this may be a Normal long episode. Folks. <laughs> we are spitting fire today, right, everybody. Right. Yes, so, yes, hey, yes. Ryan, I was going to tell you something. I, I almost, you know, you're famous for your Carhartt shirts that you. I am. Wor- yes, you're like a infamous. You're like a working infamous. man's Bill Gates, and that you wear the same <laughs> same thing every day, but it's Carhartt. Anyway, it's like, as I would say, I, I would say Bill, that Bill uh, Gates, no, 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 no whatever the Steve Gates, Jobs, Steve Jobs, right? You're working man, oh, Steve boy, Jobs. That's, that's I was like, I was no, 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 yeah, not Bill anyway, Gates. I apologize. Now, what were you going to say about Carhartt? Well, I was just going to say I was shopping the other day for some clothing, and uh, I came across this shirt, and I thought, man, that's a nice looking shirt, and it was a Carhartt shirt. I almost that's bu- right. I, I came that close to buying a Carhartt shirt. So, well, uh, when it's your birthday, which is in what January? Yes, is that one? Yeah. Okay, in January, when it's your birthday, I'm going to buy you Carhartt, right. and then I'm going to get the same one so we can be twins. <laughs> so we can be twins. And everyone will. You just have to buy me the uh, one you wear all the time, and then we'll be okay. The You know, here's the deal with it. it. I mean, it felt nice and everything, but like, holy cow, it's kind of expensive. Carhartt's kind of, you know. All right. <laughs> all right. Anyway. So, we're back. We're doing Ephesians. We've had some uh, great response yeah. to Ephesians 1. And before we get started, though, yes. we need to give a shout out to someone. Yeah. To someone named Marsha. Yes. In, thank you very much. Yes. Marsha sent us a gift. She loved the Holy Spirit episode so yeah. much we, that we, she sent us a financial gift. We will bring more about the Holy Spirit at a later date. So, if the Holy Spirit leads us. Leads to. us. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
He will. But anyway, before we get started, anyway, we're back to Ephesians 1 right. this week. And uh, we've heard people are using it for yeah. small group studies yes. and all kinds of stuff already. But we talked about um, election and predestination, yeah. which I think is kind of a hot topic right. here in Ephesians. Right. And so we're, we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit more, but something more important in this first part, and that is the, <laughs> well, I don't I, know, it's not more important. I don't know about more important, but you know, another again, part of it. I, I kind of set this up last week where I said, you know, essentially, I, I don't know that Paul's primary concern is is about the same questions we're bringing to the text about election and predestination, those kind of things. And so I don't, I, I wanted to kind of get that out of the way in a sense so that we could kind of focus on what I really think Paul's talking about. Uh, go ahead and look, look, just read for me, if you would, um, just verse three, just that verse. And this is kind of the beginning. I, I mentioned last week, and I'll just say this again, that verses three through 14 in Greek are one sentence. And uh, j- just again, to set this up, I think when you have Paul, uh, I mean, Paul is this guy that t- piles on terms. He just, he just likes to kind of give us this, you know, it's not enough just to say it in one way, but they'll say it in two or three different ways. And he's really trying to get a, get across, I think, the the depth and the complexity of, of Christianity. Complexity is not even the right word, but but kind of more the richness of it. Uh, just what a rich thought it is. And I think he is he he gets sometimes so taken by, and especially this topic, I, I notice he does this, he gets so taken by what it means that we are in Christ now. And, and he's I think he's just you can almost hear him being overwhelmed by it, you know, and just just as he thinks about it trying to express it. And so it comes out in kind of this rush of words, you know, with all these repetition and 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 some really extravagant language that he uses here. So anyway, with all that being said, just read verse three, four, because it kind of, in a lot of ways, and I always say this, Paul, when you look at the very beginning of his section, a lot of times he he's pretty good about giving us a thesis statement and then he'll, he'll kind of unpack that as we go through. So just read verse three for me, if you would. Yeah, this is the NIV. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that phrase, every spiritual blessing in Christ, is really what I think is kind of the theme of this of this first part of um, Ephesians chapter 1, really. He's trying to get across what it means that we are in Christ. I think I mentioned before that this, this phrase, in Christo, occurs something like, or in him, or in Christo occurs, or in Christ occurs something like 11 times in these in these. Um, you know, eleven chapters or eleven verses or so, and, and so it, he's he's really taken with this idea of what it means that we're in Christ, and so spiritual blessings. I think he's he's thinking about what is what is it that we what is it that we have? You know, what has happened to us? Um, what how has our status changed because we are in Christ? And he really is. That's what I think he's really talking about. And even the the predestination election language we looked at last week, chosen and and this kind of thing. It is really getting across what a blessing it is that we are now in Christ, that, you know, the, the, the blessings that we have. A couple of other things I'll just mention before we move on just from this first verse. That word, uh, I think you, you're saying you're reading the NIV, so let's say something like heavenly realms. Yes, and so the word heavenlies is is, and I think the eighty four NIV used the term heavenlies, or maybe the New American Standard. I can't remember which, but that's one word. The heavenly realms is one word in Greek, and it's a relatively unusual word, but it is used something like five times, I think, in Ephesians. Of the times it's used in the New Testament, um, you know, Ephesians uses it more. How do I say this? It, it's it's 
per, per word, <laughs> there's a higher yes. ratio of its use in Ephesians than there is anywhere else in the New Testament. So this idea of the heavenly realms or the heavenlies uh, is what, um, you know, is, is kind of one of these themes that, that Paul is imagining uh, kind of the difference between the, the realm of heaven, we might say, which, and, and the realm of earth. And so part of what it means that we are in Christ is the, the kind of things that we associate with the heavenlies are now a part of our lives in the, in the here and now, that we have appropriated these mm-hmm. things now. Uh, and so he, he, he begins in that way. I'll just, I'll just say that. So, so it's, this, it's this idea that in Christ, what was once apart sure. from us is now yeah we can think of now. it you know i like to talk about the temple a lot and i always talk about the holy of holies as kind of that place where god is you know in, in, in a symbolic way i mean well his his presence was actually there but he wasn't limited just to the holy of holies it's not like you could shut him in there and lock the door or something but but uh <laughs> yes but the holy of holies was was his place of dwelling and in a, in a sense that kind of stands for for heaven as well and as we draw near to him you know he is inaccessible to us in the holy of holies but uh, you know as a hebrew writer and as other writers including the gospel of john i think makes clear that in christ now uh, god is present with us that his presence is outside of the of the holy of holies if you will in, in in our everyday lives and so this is this is a part of what it what it means he's kind of brought heaven to us so to speak heaven to earth is one of the ways that people have have talked about this um, so anyway this idea of the spiritual blessings we have in christ i think is kind of a i've called it a header and i don't know if that's a thesis statement if you want to call it that uh, of what paul's going to talk about so then we move into that we talked a lot about last week the idea of election and, uh, and predestination. Uh, but it says in verse four, for he chose us in him. There's another, so that, that, that in, in him is a way to say in Christ. So God in chose Christ. us in Christ mm-hmm. before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So instead of focusing upon those theological issues we talked about last time, focus this time on this idea, kind of think about, you know, as Paul's reflecting on everything we have in Christ, that, that we are chosen in Christ, um, and, and God did this before the creation of the world. I talked last week about this gives us a, a confidence. It gives us a certainty in what God is doing, that we can trust the plan that he has for us. Um, and then it goes on and says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. And I didn't really talk too much about that concept. I said I would talk about that this week. But again, from a very early, uh, you know, f- before the creation of the world, God's plan was for us to be adopted as sons. Now, I, I said, I did say this, I think, last week. Um, the 2011 NIV uses inclusive language. It uses, um, you know, gender inclusive language. Here, when it talks about sonship, though, they've chosen to keep that, and there's there's a reason for that. Is this in in uh, Greek is, is a legal term? In, in the Roman court system, this idea of being adopted as a son was a legal term. And in this, and, mm-hmm. and Paul's using it here. He uses it a couple of other places, or at least I shouldn't say he uses this word, but he uses this concept in a couple of other different places. But but this this idea of being adopted as a son means that even though you are not the naturally born son of, of someone, that you now receive all of the benefits uh, as if you were. 
Uh, so that that's legally what it meant within the Roman Roman legal system is you could adopt someone as your son and they would then be your heir. Well, I mean, think about what what do you you know what do you enjoy as being a son? All the rights of being a son. You know, you could be an heir. You can you right. can have all of those uh, you know protections, all those legal benefits. Um, it's only used uh, five times in the entire New Testament. Uh, and all times it's used by Paul, and and three times it's used in the Book of Romans, so it's pretty unusual here. And I think it's, if I remember, the fifth use is Galatians four or something like that. But anyway, the idea of ado- adoption is adopted to be sons is a very specific legal context, a legal concept within the within the cultural context of its day that Paul is referring to here. Questions on that, or yeah? So it's, I mean, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, it just the, the, so what do you, what do you think? The difference is, so you think he was trying to say something legal, not just sons and daughters, but I, I, I'm yeah. just wondering, like, what gets lost well, in, in that? I, I, I mean, think for us, it, it's not that big of a deal, but culturally, in this period of time, um, you know, the, the the son was the one who who would receive, you know, the the inheritance. The, inheritance. the son is the one who would have legal standing within the the household, and so so I think that's just you know it, it's more of a historical cultural thing than it is you know I, for us. I don't think it would make that big of a difference. You know, I, I don't know how you would. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how I would try to render that if I was trying to do it in, in gender inclusive language. I don't know what I how I'd say it. Adopted, I guess, adopted as children, something like that would would be okay. But mm-hmm. uh, but basically, the, what he's really getting across is you have everything. You know, you you have everything that it means to be a part of this family. Um, that that God is now your father in a in a very very real way. Yeah, and that and that, that was you know as you talked about that that was so important even in Roman times your lineage was vitally sure. important to you and your yeah. status and so forth. Yeah. So, okay, cool. No, yeah. I don't. We, yeah, so I mean, you think as Paul's trying to put this together again, it's this in Christ, mm-hmm. and so it, the whole focus is what we have in Christ sure. in the heavenly realms. Now we've be, been made sons, part mm-hmm. sons, ch- yeah, children, <laughs> yeah, part of the family. Children, you better children. Way to say it. Part so, of the family. And, he's, yeah, and it yeah. says here, notice again, verse five. This is through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and will. Probably referring to God's pleasure and will, but but uh, that this is done in Christ because of you know what God wanted uh, from us or for us, and it's to the praise of His glorious grace. Uh, Paul's going to use this phrase "praise" a couple of times, and that's how he actually ends this sentence with that idea of praising God. And we'll we'll talk more about what that looks like or what that means at the very end of this. But to the praise of His glorious grace. Now we talk about grace a lot, and I'm, I pretty much assume most people have. Um, a concept of, of what grace is, uh, but this idea that that it is, you know, some people use the term unmerited favor. That is that that God has favored us even though we did not deserve it. Um, that it is what God has done for us initially um, in Christ, um, and and uh, the whole thing about what we could not do for ourselves, God has done for us in Christ. That's kind of the, the, the point of what, when Paul's talking about grace, that's kind of what he's getting across. So, so he's doing this and we, we are in praise of God's glorious grace. Then we're, we're kind of in awe, we might say of what God has done. And, um, you know, we find ourselves in this position of praising him because of what he's done for us in Christ. So, um, To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, again, that's not that doesn't that's not the phrase in Christ, right? But the one he loves mm-hmm. is we understand a reference to to Jesus. Um, 
I should say this, both this idea of sonship and this idea of the one he loves conjures up for us kind of a, an echo of Jesus' baptism. Uh, if you remember uh, when, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit descended on him in a form of a dove. We talked about that. And there's a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son, or this is my son you know, whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. And so that idea that he is the one that is loved by God, but because of what he has done, we also have that role of son now, or child again, <laughs> you know, trying to get away from that. But yeah. but we have that um, uh, that as well. So Anything? interesting. I I yeah. never thought of that that yeah. parallel between you know maybe Jesus's baptism and the and the words that are said there. And I think I picked Ephesians. that up in Robert's Robert's commentary. I think is where I got that. Just. Uh, just to give credit where credit is due. But I thought, I, you know, it's interesting. We've talked before about echoes of Scripture. And when you hear these kind of words and these phrases that are used, um, and so there's, there's an example, I think, of that probably. Very cool. Very cool. So it goes on. And <clears throat> since I talked about echoes of Scripture, this is a good, this is a good example of it. Uh, go ahead and read for me verses. And see, it's always hard to find a place to stop here because, you know, so, and as I mentioned, yes. we've, we've inserted some... Single sentence. Yeah, yeah we've, we've, we've artificially yeah, broken we have, this up. But even, <clears throat> even then, it's hard, it's hard to um, know when a good stopping place is. And again, this is one of those things that tells me, like I said last week, really we're thinking about what Paul is painting for us as an entirety rather than getting too caught up in the details. So so even as we think about all these beautiful images that he's giving us and everything that we have in Christ, I mean, he's really trying to get across this idea. We are just super blessed. You know, we are just, we just have every spiritual blessing. And there's going to be a couple of um, ways that he says that he uses very strong superlatives, uses very strong language. Um, and and I, I, I was going to say this a little bit later, but I'll probably say it again. So, but in Ephesians, he uses these, these incredible Incredibly, um, these terms of abundance, these terms, and you'll see a couple of them in, in the next few verses that we're looking at, these terms that, that are almost like gushing or overflowing, you know, and again, it, it's just, I can, I can almost imagine him kind of breathlessly, you know, saying this to the... Try, trying to articulate what it, he feels, like exactly. what he knows. And you know how that is sometimes, you have to describe it in two or three different ways, or you have to come from two or three different directions really to get that, get that concept or that idea, so... so Go ahead oh, and read yeah. verses just seven and eight for right now. There's, I'll have plenty yeah. to say then. Yeah. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom okay, and we, understanding. We stop there. So that he lavished yeah. on us would be a good place yeah. to stop. So, so notice the in him. Again, it's, it's that idea of in Christ. So 11 times we have these kind of phrases uh, throughout this. In him we have redemption. Now, I've said before, the word salvation, a lot of times the way that it's used in Scripture is not exactly the way that we tend to use it. The way we tend to use the word, I'm going to make the case. I'm going to, and you, you can dispute me if you like, but the way that... I would never do such a thing. <laughs> well, you're welcome to. I'm sure Just there's kidding. others who'd love, yeah. who'd love to. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the way that we use the word salvation is really a lot of times better, I think, um, covered by the word redemption. I think what we think about when we're talking about salvation is really what the Bible often will call redemption. 
And redemption is an interesting word. It, it can be used in a couple of different contexts. Well, what does redemption make you think of? Um, I, I, and let me say outside of a th- kind of a theological or biblical context, when, when we use the word redemption. Uh, someone who has an opportunity to make up something, not make up something, but uh, like if they're going to redeem themselves, like they they made a big failure and now they get a chance to to do the action again and prove that that was was the wrong thing. The... um uh, yeah, to redeem yourself—that's that's an interesting kind of kind of thought or phrase. The I <laughs> when I when I would teach in, in college, I would always use the example of coupons. We use the word redeem for coupons a lot of times, right? Um, in fact, it's usually <laughs> when you, you, the word redemption is on those a lot of times. You know, you know, can't be redeemed in this way. Yeah. The redemption, you know, and, and it's kind of interesting in that context. And what we're saying is that we are exchanging this for something that has it has a value, and we're exchanging this in turn for something. In the ancient world, there are a couple different contexts that this might conjure for us. And I'm going to tell you what which one I think is, is the best way to understand this. When we talked about atonement, if you remember that episode several well, gosh, months ago now, last last ago. yeah, it was yeah, last year. Well, well, we'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> but when we talked about atonement, uh, we talked about this idea of um, um, someone being kidnapped and being held for ransom. And so redeeming could be used in that kind of a context. It could, and some have suggested this has to do with this idea of being, you know, purchased back out of, out of this kind of being trapped or this kind of an idea. I think more commonly it was used in the ancient world in, and, and, and I'm going to remind you of what we talked about last week in our, in our, in our or not last week, week before last in our introduction to Ephesians. It can also be used in the context of, of a slave. If a slave is purchased out of their um, servitude, the term that is used is this idea of being redeemed, right? Being, being purchased out of slavery. Mm-hmm. Now, the way it, it enters into... Um, Christianity, I'll say in general, and Judeo-Christianity in, in, in a broader sense, the way it enters into our theological language is through the Exodus. So here, you know, well, I was going to say, I was going to say figuratively, but really it's, it's literally the, the, the Israelites are slaves to the Egyptian people, right? After the mm-hmm. Pharaoh rose, uh, probably the dynasty of Pharaohs who did not know Joseph, as it talks about in the beginning of the book of Exodus, um, the nation of Israel, the descendants of, of um, uh, Jacob are placed into servitude. They're, they're slaves of the Egyptians. And God then... Mm-hmm. Um, here's their cries. He sends Moses. And the language then is that he is going to redeem them. He, in, in other words, he's going to purchase them out of slavery is the idea. He's going to free them from their slavery. And, and so that's where that mm-hmm. idea of redemption comes in. And so I think that's the kind of the background here of what we have, especially when it talks about this idea of redemption through his blood. Um, in, in the Exodus, this begins with the... the, the um, uh, final plague, um, the tenth plague, the one that that yeah, the, the death born. of the firstborn, and it gives rise to this annual remembrance that the Jewish people did. And again, I, I, I probably deserves to be said, although I think we all know it, that Paul is a trained Pharisaic rabbi, right? He he, he is he mm-hmm. he's. He knows he, all about the Passover, <laughs> right? Yeah, he knows the Passover. He knows. Um, 
you know, he knows the scriptures very well. And so this idea of being redeemed through the blood is that image of Passover probably. And, and that idea of the blood on the doorpost caused the death angel to pass over uh, Israel. So that's kind of in, in the background. So when he talks about us being redeemed, I think it's that idea of redeemed out of slavery. Now, slavery to what? We, we'll talk about more next week. Uh, beginning of chapter two talks a lot. So this is all kind of positive stuff, right? Chapter one is all, let me tell right. you what you got. And then chapter two is kind of, let me tell you what you've been redeemed from and, and the, you know, the situation as it was before. So, so this idea of redemption language, I don't want to, you know, I probably belabored it too much already, but this idea of redemption language by, through his blood, through the blood of Jesus is what I would understand to be kind of the background of, of the Exodus and the, the Passover. Like, like a ransom out of slavery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A payment out of slavery, something along those lines. And so, um, so that idea, he then says the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So this idea that we're, we're freed, we're forgiven of our sins because of what God has done in Christ, the blood that was shed uh, on our behalf. Even when you think about the giving of the law, um, this idea of blood sacrifice being necessary as a part of the a sacrificial system as part of the forgiveness of sins for when a uh, day of atonement, for example, when, when Israel's forgiveness of sins, you know, th- this is a part of it. And even, you know, for me, I think about the gospel of John and um, the idea of Jesus being presented as the Passover lamb in the gospel of John, which I don't know if we've ever talked about that specifically, but we, we will at some point. Mm-mm. So redemption through his blood is, is kind of the idea. Um, any other thoughts on that or ideas? I don't, I don't know if any other thoughts. Uh, I think it's you know tying that together with the uh, with the Passover. I think is it, you know every time I see redeemed by His blood, mm-hmm. yeah. you know I mean like it's I, I'm, I'm just thinking of the crucifixion, right. but I don't know if I've ever really tied it back to that yeah. Old Testament theme of of the, that where we see it first sure. being brought up with Jesus uh, or God bringing right. uh, the nation of Israel out of Yeah, that actually brings me up something. You, you, I'm glad you said that because it, it did remind me. Of course, Jesus was crucified during Passover, right? And, and so we have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so many echoes here, but but in the, in, in the Old Testament, I would say that the Exodus is the major story of redemption in the Old Testament. Uh, that's what, in fact, later on, you know, Babylonian exile, all this other stuff happens, obviously, right? But what they keep pointing back to is that language of Exodus. And even in the New Testament, it's very, very interesting that the Gospels and what Jesus accomplishes is told in the in the language of the Exodus. Uh uh, mm-hmm. And and you know I, Isaiah a lot of the Isaiah language even that's used is this kind of idea of, a, of an exodus that's that's happening. So I would call what Jesus did on the cross the major redemptive activity. And and I think you're absolutely right. It's good. It, it, we're, it's correct to think about you know the crucifixion of Jesus, but it was intentionally placed against that backdrop of of the Passover and even Jesus reimagining of the Passover meal the the cup and the bread as remembering now his his body and his blood broken for us and shed for us it is a way that we continually practice that and 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 connect with um, you know that that redemptive activity through his blood uh, even baptism as I've mentioned is a way that we 
we connect with his death. So these two major, if you want to call them ordinances or, or whatever you want to call them, uh, <laughs> some people say, you know, want to use different terms for them than I do. But um, but this idea of bo- both of them connect to the death of Jesus and and the shedding of his blood. And so so that's that's what's going on there. Now let's talk about this next part. I don't want to get too hung up here. The riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. So there again is that idea of God's grace, which is kind of, you know, uh, th- runs throughout this entire sentence. This word riches is one that we're going to see repeated by by Paul. There's a couple of words here we're going to see repeated uh, several times. Another one's power. We'll get to in just a minute. Interesting how many times he uses the word power here in chapter one and then also in chapter three. Uh, but this idea of riches is is kind of like the idea. Let me let me. <laughs> I got to be really careful. Got to tread carefully here. But this is kind of the idea of an abundant wealth. You know, just and even that word lavished. What you know. If you're going to use that word lavished in everyday, I'm afraid to ask this question, actually, Ryan, but if you're, <laughs> if you're going to use that word lavished in everyday conversation, what kind of, what kind of a situation would you, would you use it in? An overflowing yeah. abundance, uh, like sure. if I, of right. good things, like I'm in lavishly given you know, Let's this. say it's your anniversary and you okay. may lavish, you know. Your wife, these all these gifts for your wife, right? And you you um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> make a nice meal for mm-hmm. her, or take her out, something like that. But, but yeah, yes. it's an abundance. It, it, right? It's an overflowing abundance of this kind of uh, of giving. Um, you know, just uh, above and beyond. You know, it's not just well, I gave your I gave her enough to get by. It's not it's not an everyday thing. <laughs> right. It's a an overabundance. It's not I'm going to give you a toaster for your anniversary, right? It it's mm-hmm. it's something that is is greater it's 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 and this is again the kind of we're going to see this as i mentioned this already we're going to see this theme throughout the book of ephesians that has to do with these really big words and these really big language so again i i I said before i think ephesians is a circular epistle i think it's sent and i meant to say this when i talked about redemption as well i think it's sent well go ahead you say circular epistle. What oh, do you mean the descent, by that? Uh, not just to the church in Ephesus, but oh. to to Laodicea and Hierapolis, as we talked about in the very first episode yeah. in the intro to Ephesians. Yeah, uh, the very first episode of this of this kind of series. Um, and so he's really trying to get across this idea of the just the greatness of the Christian faith in a, in a general sense, not again specifically to any particular given controversy here. But that having been said, it is the occasion I think where he's sending Onesimus back because of the book of, of Colossians and Philemon. I think this is you know the similarities between Colossians and Ephesians. I think these were probably sent at the same time. Colossians was more specific to the situation. Of course, Philemon was directly addressed to the situation um, because. Um, just for those who don't want to go back and listen, Philemon's uh, Philemon's house uh, church probably is in the city of Colossae. Well, it is in the city of Colossae. And uh, so he writes this letter to the church as a whole and then a direct letter to Philemon basically saying, I want you to um, set free. Welcome right? back. And there's even a redemption kind of idea there where he says, you know, I, I wish, you know, that he would be of useful use to me. There's a play on his name actually there, but... Um, you know, he's been useless to you. His name, Onesimus means useful. Uh, and so the, this idea, he's been, he's not been useful to you, but he would be useful to me. 
uh, he, you know, he'd be Onesimus to me uh, if you would send him back to me. And then he says this idea, if he owes you anything, you know, I'll repay it. You know, I'll, I'll basically pay the, the redemption for him. You know, of course, as I mentioned, he, not to say that you owe your very soul to me, but, you know, whatever. You know, if, <laughs> but he, owes, but, if but he owes you about 50, yes. that's, that's fine, whatever. So... So, yeah. yeah, that idea and this idea of riches of God's grace lavished on us, this idea of extravagance, I, I, it's hard for me even, to, you know, to I, it, it's hard to explain because you'll see it as we go through it, um, just how many times he uses this, this kind of language. So you stop there, uh, kind of this idea of accordance uh, with the riches of God's grace he lavished on us, and then you're going on, and this is kind of the next thought. And I'm going to go ahead. But before we, sure. before we go into the next thought. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back, and we'll finish this thought, and we'll keep going about Ephesians chapter 1. Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Brian. And we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope you're enjoying this episode. You know, it's our goal to make this podcast useful to you. So if you find it valuable, we want you to consider supporting the Bible Bistro financially. You know, there's a cost associated with this podcast, and your support will help us to continue this mission. If you'd like to help, we have set up a Patreon account where you can contribute at any level. Maybe you just want to give us a few bucks a month and buy us a cup of coffee. Or if you support us at $15 or above, you can receive some of our personalized items, like the Bible Bistro coffee mug. Trust me, you're really going to want one of those. Absolutely. You just got to go to our website or in the show notes and click on the Patreon link. And thank you so much. We appreciate our loyal listeners. All right, Brian, we're back, and now we're looking again. We're reading what Ephesians one. I'm halfway oh, oh, with all halfway uh, through verse eight. We were ahead. kind of talking about this as the next yes. thought. Uh, another big deal that that Paul makes in Ephesians is this idea of things that we know and the way that God has revealed Himself to us. So he uses some of that language mm-hmm. here. It says in in um, middle part of verse eight, with all wisdom and understanding. Okay, so think about that. The idea of wisdom uh, is, I would say, wisdom simply defined as applied knowledge. It, it's it's uh, wisdom is knowing uh, when to act upon particular ideas or thoughts, and understanding is the idea of a you know a deep comprehension. It's not just knowing facts, but but understanding their their significance. He made known to us the mystery. We'll come back to that. Uh, that's that's an important word for Paul. He made known to us, you see that? In other words, God revealed to us the mystery of his mm-hmm. will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, there's our word again, in Christ. Okay, so he purposed it. We could say that he, he uh, set it into motion in Christ or he ordained it in Christ. Uh, so this idea of being made known and this idea... Uh, uh, you know, wisdom, understanding, all this kind of thing has to do with revelation, uh, the way that God is revealing himself. We know ultimately he reveals himself in the person of Jesus. That's that's God's uh, ultimate revelation. Um, we see clearly this in Romans chapter one, if you want another Pauline passage, but then Hebrews chapter one is a good passage regarding this as well. But, but he made known to us this. And when Paul uses the term mystery, uh, in Greek, this is, I should teach you a little Greek here since you've been working on that is, oh boy. Uh, this is the word. Yep. <laughs> yep. I've been working on the, that Greek. The Greek word is muster, musterion. So musterion. Musterion. So it's, it, Ooh, we like basically that. took, took the word mystery from 
uh, from uh, Greek here. When Paul uses the term mystery, he doesn't use it in exactly the same way that we. What, how would? You, what do you think of as a mystery? Uh, mystery is something unknown. Right, exactly. That's, is this no, a trick no, no, question? That's exactly no. right. Something unknown. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like to read mysteries, right? And uh, I'm reading one right now. And, and the whole point of them, the whole fun of them is you're trying to figure out, right, what's going on. You, you don't know. You don't, unless, you know, mm -hmm. you went ahead and you're one of these people who go look, you know, one of these really... Uh, crazy people who look at the last page to find out who did it before you start reading. Well, I mean, what's the point then? You know, you're, 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 it's unknown. And you're trying to figure it out all along the way. When Paul uses the word mystery, and I'll say this very carefully, and I'll probably say it twice. <laughs> when Paul uses the word mystery, what he means by it is something that was previously hidden that has now been revealed to us. So it's, it's a mystery in the sense of this, in ages past, and what he means by that is before the time of, before the revelation of Jesus, before, before Christ came and revealed God to us in an ultimate kind of way, in ages past, um, there were things that we did not understand about what God was doing in the world. Right, they they were looking forward to the people were looking forward to, and and prophets were talking about the things that were going to happen in those days, right? But until they came mm -hmm. to pass, they were kind of an unknown thing, right? You weren't in the last chapter of the right. book yet. Uh, well, in Jesus, we're now in the last chapter of the book, and so when Paul talks about mystery, he means those things that we didn't know before, but now have been made plain to us. And again, that's part of the blessing. Now, I think to really fully understand this, this is one of those cases we had to put ourselves in Paul's shoes um, or his sandals, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's bad. Um, Unnecessary. <laughs> so, so, you know, Paul, again, a, a, a Pharisaic Jew. Uh, trained by you know, trained by the greatest rabbi of his day, whose name was Gamaliel. Uh, by his own account, he was the head of the class, according to Philippians chapter one. You know, had had no peer. Pharisee exactly. above all Pharisees. A Pharisee of Pharisees. And, and yeah. uh, you know, when when it came to his understanding of Christianity at the beginning, is that Christianity was a false. Uh, Jesus was a false messiah, and so Christianity was a, was an incorrect understanding, what we would call Christianity, what, didn't even have that name yet, but was an incorrect understanding of what the Old Testament prophecy was about. And, and you might remember he went so far as to be persecuting the church and trying to, uh, you know, he was, he was the one who was complicit with uh, the stoning of Stephen. Um, and uh, when when God, when Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, he was on his way uh, to to persecute Christians, um, and and so here's an example. So think about that. He his understanding before was was wrong, you know, in his current estimation, right. even by his own admission. You know, I consider all that now rubbish. Is where that all that bragging goes, you know. But he says he, he says here what was what was unknown before now in Christ has been made known to us. In other words, he, his eyes have been opened. In his case, on the Damascus Road, you know, after that, literally, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, his he he was blinded, and then and then his eyes were opened. Um, and, and so this idea of the mystery is that which previously was unknown, but has now been made known. So as Paul 
talks, especially, I think he's thinking about his fellow, he mentions particularly in, in, in Romans, for example, his fellow Jews. Later on, he's going to make this point as well. And in fact, even later in this chapter, we'll see something that some people take to be in reference to this. But his, his fellow Jewish people who God has revealed him, himself to, but now like what they've been looking forward to and what they've been anticipating has been made known fully in Jesus. And, and for Paul, that's, that's a part of the spiritual blessing that we now have. Uh, and so I think he's trying to, to express that. Uh, with all wisdom and understanding, then, he made known to us, and this us is going to become important in just a minute, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And then verse 10, and I love verse 10, to be put into effect... When the times reach their fulfillment, I'm reading NIV 2011 there. Um, that mm-hmm. word there, fulfillment, li- literally when time when when the time was full. Uh, this is the word plerao, and and we're going to see this word again a couple of different times. Uh, in in uh, let me see, I think I wrote down how many times is it? Four times, yeah, four times in the book of Ephesians. Uh, this word, um, uh, uh, oh, I, I said it wrong, pleroma. Uh, pleroma is the is the word here that means uh, fullness, um, and it's that idea. You know, fullness is kind of like the idea of rightness. Again, it's a, it's a it's a it's an extravagant word, right? It's the idea of when when mm-hmm. times were full, when they were when they. I always think about ripe fruit, right? When it's just hanging there, ready, you know, luscious and ready to be picked. Mm-hmm. Is, is kind of the idea. And uh, he, I actually wrote this down in my notes. Um, the uh, the uh, CEB um, says says that this common English Bible says it this way. This is what God planned for the climax of all times, and I kind of love that idea that this is this is the fullness of time. This is this is what God was looking forward to and waiting on. Um, I've been doing a thing in my Sunday school class where we've kind of been talking about the Roman Empire and different. We've been looking at different maps and this kind of thing, and uh, uh, I. I talked about this idea that Jesus coming at exactly the right time. And I think there's a lot, you know, theologically, spiritually, there's some things there, but also just pragmatically, there's some, there's some things that are going on. Uh, The Roman empire had, had all but erased borders so that people could very easily travel from place to place. They'd put these Roman roads everywhere so that travel was relatively safe. Um, They were controlling piracy in the Mediterranean. Uh, After Alexander the Great, Greek was known um, throughout the entire uh, world, essentially, and so the, the known world. And so, so what happened um, is, it, you know, the the entire New Testament is written in this language. The gospel is preached in this language that could be understood in a variety of different places. So, you know, certainly it was the fullness of time in that sense as well, not only spiritually and theologically, but also I think it was the right time so that the gospel could spread very quickly. And in fact, that's that's exactly what we see it doing. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I have a question for you. Yeah. So you think about the, the mystery of his will. Yeah. Uh, his will. Uh, so it, do you see it only as like for Paul as just what it is in in Jesus like what Jesus is the the coming prophecy, but also in the Gentiles, and so. that the Gentiles yeah. are brought into this. So, you, would you see it as like the mystery of His will is not only that Jesus is the mm-hmm. fulfillment of the Hebrew Scriptures, but also that 
the part of the mystery was that the it's Gentiles were part Israel. of. Yeah, I think that's that's. It's not that's just part of Israel. It. So you think that that's both encompassed yeah. in that that mystery so. of His will I there. So okay, I was now just he, wondering about that. I'm glad you brought that up. He's going to say something specifically. I think about that in just a minute. But yeah, this idea that uh, it wasn't just about national Israel that God was interested in, but and, and of course the interesting thing again is is when we look back upon. Um, the Old Testament, we realized it was never just about that. That God, God's plan through Israel was to redeem the world to himself or, or draw the world to himself. Uh, that he wanted Israel to be a nation of priests, right? In other words, intercessors between him mm-hmm. and, and others. Uh, and, and there's all kinds of things. But but Paul, but Paul as a Pharisee would have still just seen it well, as being national yeah, Israel. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think some did and some okay. didn't. But yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, there was different ways, even in the first century, of approaching that question. Um, you know, are we trying to, you know, bring others in? And it, it certainly was not, uh, Pharisaism would not have been evangelistic, quote unquote, in the same way um, that uh, Christianity was in a very early period with Paul, you know, being a missionary and, and these kind of things, uh, at least to the same degree. Uh, I would say so. Yeah, okay. that's a good question. All right. Well, yeah, yeah, it's just no. you know, just something that's rattling around <laughs> up there in the spare space. That's a good question. So, <laughs> yeah, here's the final part of this: to be to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So that's a you know, talk about a huge statement. That's a I would say that's a universal kind of statement. All things bringing unity, bringing all things together in heaven and earth. Uh, and I will say this, again, when we talked about salvation uh, in the past, and we've talked about the way we commonly talk about it, uh, I said last week, part of our understanding, I think, of this idea of being chosen and being predestined is because we think about salvation. We tend to, in, the, in North America, think about salvation in a very individualistic way. Uh, it's about my state, and, and it's about my personal uh, you know, situation. Um, Ephesians, well, and I would say the, the Bible as a whole, but <laughs> given what we're talking about right now, Ephesians doesn't allow us to do that. Uh, Ephesians is going to make clear. Now, don't get me wrong. We are, as individuals, brought to God through Christ. I mean, that, that's, that's part of it. But that's not all that there is. Uh, and, and, and this idea of unity in all things under heaven and earth is a way of talking about the way that God is, is healing these. So we have talked before about the effects of what happened when um, humanity rebelled against God, when Adam and Eve chose to do other than what God's will was for them. And we said then that that was a a very broad kind of breaking of relationship, right? And I would see this unifying right. of all things as the opposite of that brokenness. So, so in other words, this kind of, in, in the same way that um, I've talked about four relationships there that, that it broke their relationship with God, which is a lot of times what we focus on and, and focus on solely, but it also broke them within themselves. So they were no longer the holy set apart people that God had, had created them to be. They were no longer um, in his image unmarred, right? There was a way in which they were doing other than what his character would dictate. And then um, there also is a brokenness between within humanity, between people, between nations, between, you know, communities. And there's a brokenness with creation itself. 
Uh, it's no longer the, right. the place that provides for us. So this idea of unity of all things is the is the bringing back together through Christ all of those broken relationships. And and there's a really beautiful image we're going to say see later in the book of Ephesians where where Paul makes this clear when it has to do with between people. Um, but I think this is that that broad kind of thing. I have a really favorite passage, and I'm just going to mention this. I probably don't have time to go there, but in Acts chapter 3, verse 21, there's a word that's only used one time in the entire uh, New, New Testament, apokatastasis, uh, uh, or stasis, apokatastasis. Uh, and what that means is uh, to restore everything. And so Peter says this, uh, speaking about Jesus, he will remain in heaven until the time comes for him to restore <laughs> everything. <laughs> That's like, I love that idea. I love that concept that he is putting back into place what God's creation was intended to be, but in, in all things. And this kind of all things here uh, in heaven and on earth and the unity that he's bringing is a similar kind of concept. So, so, and I, I, another day we'll talk about Acts chapter three. It's a great sermon that Peter preaches there. We all know the first sermon he preaches in Acts two. And that, that was a decent sermon, but uh, <laughs> I'm a fan of the Acts three sermon too. I, well, I just think, I think we shouldn't ignore it. I think it, it tells us some important things. You know, if Acts two is important and don't get me wrong, it was important. I think Acts three is important as well. So. Here's a here's a very All interesting right. thing that happens here. Then in verse eleven, and I'm going to keep reading here. Just I know I haven't let you talk okay. much this episode. I'm going to I'm going to try to that, work on that's that. All right. There's, I don't have much. to <laughs> oh, say. Oh, you do too. You have all kinds of things to say. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. See that everything again. It's this idea that all of this, and again, when we begin to think about the you know. You know, I choose you to to play second base, and you're going to go sit on the bench or go to hell. You know, whichever mm-hmm. one. Um, that I don't think is the is the primary thing, but this idea that he's worked through all these things to the fullness of time. You see, what I'm saying when we take this all together, mm-hmm. till Christ comes, and then Christ is bringing all these things together in, in conformity with the will of God. So, so you see, that's really mm-hmm. what I think is the is when we talk about all those things that have broken yes. down. He's working. Yes. To bring them together to bring the redemption, the re- the, re- the re- restoration, the redemption, yeah, all that, all that in conformity to in his will. Conformity to his will. So when we talk about the plan, you know, that, that's why I almost don't like to use that. Is, is it the man or the plan that's being predestined? Because we say the plan like it's you know my plan to go to you know uh, the Italian place for lunch, but but this is really talking about <laughs> God's universal plan of restoration. His his plan before the creation of the world, before it was even necessary, as I said last week, uh, he had a plan in place for all of this to be restored. Uh, he's not going to allow it to be other than what it was supposed to be. Uh, and allows not even the mm. right word. It's it, it is you know God's will is such that it will you know it will be what God uh, wants it to be. So in him we are also chosen, have been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Again, we talked about all this. In order that we, now here's where it gets a little tricky, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Okay, so here's that idea of praise of his glory. We saw that earlier, praise of, of uh, God's grace. 
And uh, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And then verse 13, look at that. And you also were included in Christ. Okay, now we got a problem. Mm -hmm. So to this point, (laughs) to this point when Paul... Problem, air quote. (laughs) To this point when Paul has been using the term we, and that's up through verse 10, I think, it, it seems like he's talking about all those that he's writing this letter to, which again, I don't understand just to be the Christians in Ephesus, but all the Christians in this whole area, you know, these people that he was responsible for bringing the gospel to Asia Minor and, you know, planting these churches, excuse me, working on the, working in order to train the Christian leaders who were there. So we've understood we to be the gather, together kind of thing. But now, and, and, and most people who read this understand it beginning here, they understand that all that we was all of us, right? But now we get a we right. and a you. And, and who's Paul talking about here? Now, there's two ways that this is typically understood. The first is he could be talking about, especially when you see that phrase, we who are the first to hope in Christ are talking about the earlier believers. So in other words, the ones, you know, the, the apostles, we would say, uh, Paul would call himself an apostle untimely born, but still from a very early period of time. Uh, he would be a Christian earlier than any of the people in Asia Minor because he's the one that took the gospel there, you know, earlier than any of the ones mm-hmm. in Achaia, you know, all, all those areas that he took the gospel to. Um, so, so some people think he's making this distinction between we who are first to hope in Christ and you now who have kind of, let's call them, for lack of a better term, second generation Christians or, you know, those who have believed because of the message that, that has been preached by the apostles and, and, and uh, others, um, you know, so it could be a, a distinction there. If that's the case, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Uh, so that, you know, it kind of makes sense that you've heard the things that have been taught to you by those of us who were first to believe. And now, uh, and, and if that's the case, what I think Paul's getting across is the same blessings is what we all enjoy. You, you enjoy them because you've heard it through us. Uh, you, you've received mm-hmm. this message and you've received it and, and you now are participating in these blessings. The other possibility that's brought up in this and I don't know if I'm going to strongly come down one way or the other. It depends on the day. But uh, there's something later that Paul's going to do later on in the in the book of Ephesians that makes me lean a little bit more probably this way. Paul could be talking about we who are first to hope in Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, being um, the Jewish people. In, in other words, we, Paul saying now as, as a Pharisaic rabbi, you know, as someone who was looking forward to this. So all that we talked about before with this idea of the fulfillment of the times and all that kind of stuff and, and what was mystery, what was previously unknown, you mentioned that uh, earlier. Is it is it the, the, the inclusion of the Gentiles? So later on, and again, I don't want to give too much away yet, but Paul's going to make this very specific point, And there's no question there that that's what he's talking about, or very little question there that that's what he's talking about. So here he could be talking about we who are first to hope in Christ, meaning even the people, uh, the descendants of, of Jacob, you know, those who were, you know, Israel, those who were um, waiting on the Messiah. We were the first ones to have this hope of, of 
Right. They they hope they didn't know specifically didn't know it was Jesus, but they had a hope for the Messiah. Uh, the Messiah. Right. And that's that that, that he yeah. uses the word Christ here. If you'll notice, you know this idea of mm-hmm. of this Messiah that God. And that's we'll talk about this maybe another time. But Christos is the Greek word uh, that translates the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is what we usually transliterate as Messiah. Um, in other words, this promised one. What it means is the anointed one. Uh, like you anoint a king, you anoint priest, but but um, the one who has been anointed. And, and that's the word that God uses uh, in the Old Testament scriptures through the prophets in order to point to this king that he was going to make the ruler of his creation, uh, put things back into order through this Messiah. And, and so we were the first, and now you also, you Gentiles, could be could be the way that we understand mm. this. Uh, you know, that we who were first put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ. That's what you're talking about, the inclusion of the Gentiles. When you heard this message mm-hmm. of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. So this is the idea of, uh, you know, when you when you trusted in him, you were you were marked with a seal, and here's here's the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So a lot to unpack here, and I don't have too much time, but uh, this idea of being marked with a seal is kind of an idea of ownership. Um, Paul says in Romans 8, uh, if you are in Christ, then then the Holy Spirit lives within you. Um, so it is, a, it is a seal, it is a sign of our ownership that we have been, you know, same way in your books, you write in the front cover, you know, uh, belonging to the library, you know, ex libris, Ryan Sarver, whatever. Oh, yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yep. I, I'll throw in the yeah. Latin and for, so, uh, for everybody. So there's that there's that kind of an idea um, that the see that the, the the spirit is a sign that we are we are in Christ um, and and Paul you know talks about the spirit quite a bit he talks about the giving of the spirit we look at the book of Acts and we see some examples there um, even First John believe it or not talks about this that the spirit is a, is a sign of our being in Christ that this, the work of the spirit in our lives is one of the ways that we can be certain that we are we are. Uh, in Christ. And so it's a seal. And, and he says it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And I, I like that image too. Uh, you know, deposit, if you, if you think about earnest money that you put down on a house, it's the idea that, that um, you know, the whole payment is going to be made <laughs> and, and it mm-hmm. guarantees our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing that we're going to get the whole kit and caboodle, right? Um, the de- kind of the down payment on our eternity. Yeah, and is that inheritance? The you know the Greek and all that stuff. Sure. Is this like a tide, like to the sonship, yeah. to mean, the son, like at I, I the beginning, think, like that adoption I, and sonship? Those I think go it's, together. yeah, in the sense that yeah, we are heirs of of, of you know, co-heirs with Christ, heirs of God. So you know the thing that really blows my mind with that is is a, is an inheritor is the one who who gets the possessions, gets along to the to the, you know, the giver. Now the difference obviously is, is, uh, you know, God, we're not waiting for him to, to die. He's not written us into his will, right? In that sense. But, but the things that (laughs) it's, it's this, like, like children, like sons, the things that belong to the father belong also to us. And, And so that, that kind of blows your mind a little bit when you think about that. And, and Paul, uses those kind of that kind of language in other places as well but here he kind of does it in shorthand 
Here's the other interesting I just wanted to point out. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until, until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Two things here I probably should talk about. So we've talked about redemption already as what has been accomplished through the blood of Christ when that comes into contact with our lives. This is something that we see, I think, consistently in the New Testament. Is We, we sometimes will call this the already not yet nature of Christianity. That there's a sense in which we are already enjoying the reality of what it means to be in Christ. But there's also a future aspect to this. It's not going to be, we, we usually use the term consummated. It's not, it's not until the consummation, right? It's not until Christ returns that we're going to fully enjoy all that it means to be in Christ. Uh, and there, you know, part of that is that, you know, we still live in, it's the, it's the um, you know, we're not of the world, but we're in the world, that we're still in a fallen world and we're still uh, dealing with temptations and we're still dealing with the effects of sin and we're, we're still dealing with all these things now, but we look forward to the redemption. Um, the other really cool word here is this idea uh, of those who are God's possession. Uh, and uh, this is a word that's used frequently in the Old Testament for Israel, that, that Israel is is God's possession. And there's a couple of different places where that's that's a clear idea that, uh, you know, ownership, again, seal, sealed with the Holy Spirit, that, that they are God's possession. And then here's this final time we find this idea, to the praise of his glory. And, and all of this is kind of the idea that it is, it is um, you know, our situation, our, our um, responsibility is to offer praise because of the things that God has done in this. So we're praising his glory. And we saw it before his grace, to the praise of his grace and, and these various things. So our worship, uh, if you will, is as we live these things out, as we um, be involved in the uniting of all things under the headship of Christ, under the lordship of Christ, um, we are actively worshiping in this way. Uh, it is a way, it is our act of worship, as Paul uh, says in Romans 12. It's, it's you know, the things that we do um, in, in not, not just in our praise songs and that kind of thing, not just in the worship service. All the worship service has a place in, in pointing us toward these things, of reminding us of these truths, I think, giving us the language of praise. But it's really our everyday lives that we're we're praying, you know, to the praise of his glory. So questions or comments on any of that? Hmm. I don't think so. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it, there's a lot of good stuff here. You, you start to see the stacking, right. this idea, you know, like, and I think kind of, uh, as you've been walking us through this, sure. the in Christ and the stacking of things right. on top of each other, and, and just kind of saying the same thing, as you mentioned, that <laughs> Paul's got a lot to say about this, what the inheritance right. is in Christ, but just like, how he keeps right. circ- coming well, back Well, I to think this. I was going to go ahead and handle the rest of this. Here's what I think I'll do, and I'm kind of calling an audible on you, Ryan. Tell, tell me what you think of this. Let's, what All if right. we did a bonus episode for the yep. last part of Chapter 1? We haven't done a bonus yeah. episode in a long time. So what we'll do is we'll go ahead and record yeah. the last part of this, but we won't make it a you know hour and a half episode if anybody doesn't want to listen that long. So. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap this one up and then we'll really, we'll do a bonus episode okay. where we talk about the last of yeah. it. That sounds like a great idea because we know you love hearing <laughs> our voices. Mostly I've Brian's, been talking too much. Me today, saying something so. stupid. 
and I've been not. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but yes, let's do that. And so let's go ahead and wrap this up. This Good. is this has been fantastic. I think you know setting this up like again last week with the predestination and election to kind of talk about them, but then kind of go, this is not the main right. thing. Let's go back to what really Paul is trying to say here in Christ. What do we have? Uh, and how do we right. How do we get our minds right for what Paul's yep. going to say through the rest of this letter? Good. So I think Glad this is fantastic. All, All right. right. Bye. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bubble Bistro. As we mentioned in the episode, we have a bonus episode for you this week as we wrap up Ephesians chapter one, which we will be releasing on Thursday. Talk to you then.